Welcome back to Midpoint from WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's independent community radio station. We are brought to you by generous listeners just like you, commercial free 24-7. I'm Shelley Reback, your host, and we are going to dive right into our show today to focus on Governor Ron DeSantis's so-called education reforms. There's very little left in Florida public education that hasn't been victimized, weaponized, and terrorized by the DeSantis administration recently. And that is what I want to talk about with my guests this morning. Around 1030 or so, you'll hear from Orlando Democratic State House Representative Anna Escamani, a friend of the show and a strong voice for us in opposition to the DeSantis agenda in Tallahassee. But first, I want to welcome my guest, Judd Legum, the founder and former editor-in-chief of Think Progress, which I know many of our listeners were familiar with as one of the most influential left-wing political media outlets throughout most of the 2000s. In 2018, Judd left Think Progress to develop an independent subscription newsletter available through Substack called Popular Information. Judd is joining us by phone from the D.C. area. He has been closely following and writing about the hostile takeover of public education in Florida recently. So welcome to Midpoint, Judd Legum. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, Before we get into our discussion with Judd, I want to remind you that you are welcome to join us and comment on the show by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting us at 813-433-0885. I urge you to comment early in the show today because once we start our recorded interview with Anna Eskamani, we won't be able to interrupt it. So, Judd, welcome to DeSantis's Free Florida, the land where woke goes to die. Can you hear my air quotes through the radio? I can. can. (laughs) Your latest piece, well, let me ask you first, do we have a legal definition of woke yet? Because I was a lawyer for 30 years and I can't find it. I I think it's applied fairly broadly to to whatever... Collection of uh, of issues uh, doesn't match in with um, kind of the ideological orthodoxy of the of the current uh, DeSantis administration. So I think that's that's basically what we have to go on, and then we're watching it now play out in in schools and in colleges and and elsewhere. Yeah. Now your latest piece <clears throat> in your uh, Substack newsletter is on the Duval County Schools decision to apply the Stop Woke Act uh, to the review of all books in their libraries and in their classrooms. So tell us what Duval County is doing. Yeah, Duval County uh, is an interesting case because while a lot of counties are just getting started matching up their school libraries and their classroom libraries to this host of new laws that were passed over 2022, Duval County really was enthusiastic about this and got started much earlier. So they're kind of the canary in the coal mine in Florida in that they're far, they're, they're much farther down the road. And uh, my report this morning, um, which is based on documents that I've obtained uh, from the county and, and some email um, questions that they were willing to answer, one of the things that they said was that all books 
in, in their libraries and in the classrooms, it's about 1.6 million books uh, throughout that county, uh, will be evaluated against both the Stop Woke Act, uh, which, which we were talking about, which restricts a lot of conversations around race in different ways, and then also the Parental Rights and Education Act, which is known more commonly. Say gay, gay. right? Don't, Don't say, say gay, gay. right. Um, so all of those, both of those laws uh, will be applied. And that's really interesting because the DeSantis administration has not been saying that. They have not said that. If you look at the text of those bills, they are very explicit in that they apply to classroom instruction and curriculum, not uh, curricular materials, not library books. And there's a distinction between the two because, one, you, you have to read as part of in, in the classroom. Others, you're, you're choosing to read because you're picking it out of a classroom library or a school library. So eliminating that distinction, one, doesn't really appear to be supported by the law itself. And secondly, uh you know, is contradicts what the DeSantis administration has been saying, at least in, in various court cases in which they've attempted to defend uh, these laws. I, I wonder if, uh, you know, a parent in Duval County who wanted their kid to have the freedom to read some of these books that they've banned there already, like, for example, uh, Henry Aaron's Dream, I know, was one of the books that was banned in Duval County, which is about the Hall of Fame baseball player, Hank Aaron, because it includes some discussion about the challenges he faced as a young black man in the Jim Crow South. Um and so I wonder, in Duval County, you know, who's making these decisions about what books are approved? Um, I, I know you wrote something about the woke busters. Tell us about that. Yeah, that that's um, you know that was in a different that was in a, uh, a a different a different county that was in Manatee County. But yeah, what's so? Let me start with Duval, and then I'll and then I'll go on to the rest of the state. You know, in Duval, it's kind of interesting because we you don't have parents. Uh, challenging books. Uh, they, they've said in response to public records requests that they've had no books challenged. Wow. And so really, this is the administrators who are going through on their own accord. This yeah. is the perfect example of what Timothy Snyder calls anticipatory obedience to authority, to or an authoritarian regime. Nobody's asking for these kinds of restrictions, and they're doing it anyway. Yes, they're very enthusiastic in Duval. Uh, and they've just been doing this on, on their own, and uh, and that's how they've been making the decision. In Manatee, it's it's interesting because you do have a very energized group of right wing activists who are taking this uh, mandate to look at classroom libraries and to to evaluate the books there as a way to get into the classrooms. And I did write about. Uh, a group who calls themselves the woke busters who is saying we need to get into the schools, get rid of all of this, what they claim is pornography and other materials. Other people would call them Pulitzer Prize winning novels, (laughs) but but they consider the pornography and, and to use that as a way to get into the classroom and root out both those materials. And then I think implicitly 
and sometimes explicitly, the teachers themselves. Yeah, now I, I know that in Manatee County, for example, uh, and you've written about this in Popular Information, your Substack newsletter, uh, teachers have been threatened with felony prosecution unless they remove their classroom libraries. Um, and, and haven't you been attacked by the Florida Department of Education Commissioner, Manny Diaz, about your writing on this um, this issue of, yeah. of teachers feeling threatened with possible prosecution if there's a book in their classroom that um, may not later be determined uh, to, uh, to violate the Stop Woke uh, guidelines. Yeah, th- there's a lot of things going on here, and this is playing out in Manti, but it's really uh, all throughout Florida because in January, uh, the Department of Education put out a, a, a very lengthy training, and it was really to train uh, librarians who, who are called media specialists in Florida schools. Other people call them librarians uh, to view the materials in classroom libraries because previously classroom libraries were curated by teachers. I mean, this has been a labor of love for a lot of teachers. They, right. They work. They do this for years and years and years, and many of them get no funding for it. By the way. They rely on donations. They buy the books themselves, or they bring them from their homes. I mean, this is something, you know, especially for long-tenured teachers that they've really been working on for years and years and years to try to find books that will engage their, engage their students. And right in that training, it says very specifically that if you do not follow these guidelines, specifically if you do not get all of these pornographic materials out of the classroom libraries, you could be charged uh, with a felony. And then that training has been passed on to teachers in Manatee County, teachers in Duval County, teachers throughout the state. Every county is doing it a little bit differently, but that threat is there. And the reason why my reporting was attacked by Manny Diaz, um, the education commissioner, and other folks in the DeSantis orbit is that they are saying this isn't really something that's a threat to teachers because you're not going to have pornography in your classrooms. You know, it's only if these extreme circumstances. And that kind of goes back to the story that I published this morning, which talks about a book called The Best Man, which is a really innocuous children's book about a young man. And figuring into the story are a couple of uh, men who are gay and got married but there's no sex in this book there's no there's no explicit uh, material at all it's just an innocuous book about growing up well but and if you're a teacher in florida right now would you want to risk your state mandated license to teach let alone your freedom from prosecution on making the wrong decision about a book in your classroom i mean this exactly. has such a chilling effect on teachers that that's why they're removing all their classroom libraries uh, completely because who exactly. wants to take that risk exactly and and it is a real risk and and you could have you know your license revoked which means you're going to lose your job and your livelihood career yeah because you're not going to be able to find another job because you're no longer licensed to teach uh you're going to have difficulty getting a license in any other state as well so now, now i want to go back for a really severe for teachers i want to go back for a second to this idea of the woke busters in manatee yeah. since we're talking about manatee as i understand it um 
the the uh, criticism of your writing and and others about how horrible uh, this is being implemented in Manatee County. The criticism was that well, you, they don't have to worry because the books are going to be reviewed and approved books will be allowed in the classroom, so they don't really have anything to worry about. They just need to follow uh, have libraries with approved books. But then Manatee County realized that they don't have the 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 manpower, the people power, the teacher power, the media specialist power to review all the books that need to be reviewed and to make those decisions. So as I understand it, they put out a call for people, citizens, parents, uh, you know, people interested in education to volunteer to be reviewers of this material and report their review to Manatee County school officials and conservative organizations have put out a call for their people uh, to sign up to be those reviewers and they are calling themselves the woke busters and they've put out a public call for their people with their ideology and their you know kind of paranoia uh, to be the ones to be the volunteers to conduct those reviews and I don't know who's vetting the applicants to to be reviewers um, but this is a this is the danger that that we're going to have people who self select uh, to be the reviewers to make the determinations about what is considered to be too woke for Manatee County school children to read. Well, that that's exactly right, and you know the issue here is that you know uh, technically. Uh, one, the issue here is this is happening in the middle of the school year. So it's unclear if teachers would ever have time and, and the librarians would ever have time to go through, you know, what within a single school district might be, you know, over a million books and, and check, but they certainly don't have time now. So what these so-called volunteers are supposed to be doing is just checking to see if the books are already available in the library, which means they would have already been reviewed by a librarian. But what they're using this is is, in, is, is is a way to get into the classrooms. And once they get into the classrooms, they can observe what's going on. They can make notes about what books are available. And there's this threat of both losing your license, administrative complaints, and also felony prosecution, depending on what they find. So while technically they're not supposed to actually be conducting the reviews, it is a very disturbing um, process uh, that's going on. Um, and, yeah. And in fact, and in fact the, the whole pers- – and, and what's important to realize is this all connects up because the whole procedure, the whole training was very heavily influenced by these same groups. Moms for Liberty is one of them. There are others. Uh, you know, the woke busters to a part of a Manatee Patriots group. There's a lot of different groups but they were involved in creating this system, which created the problem in the first place. Now they're the volunteers that are going to solve the problem. But it's none of it is good news for teachers. And by the way, Florida has a massive teacher shortage of 100,000 teachers. So this is not necessarily the kind of environment that you're going to want to create if you're going to want to, if you are interested in, in fixing that shortage. 
But they're not. Let's be honest. They're not interested in fixing that shortage. You know, they're interested in destroying public education in favor of um, of these charter school uh, grift operations by the by Republican uh, legislators and their families who are all employed by these charter school management companies in Florida. It's it's all part of the Republican grift in Florida. And this whole issue of stop woke. It's it's a time-worn Republican political tactic, isn't it? To set up an imaginary boogeyman, to identify some threat that doesn't really exist, and then they'll and then they'll claim that they'll vanquish the threat. They did it with uh, critical race theory. Now they're doing it with drag queens. And I'm sure you saw that DeSantis just revoked the liquor license of an events venue, um, the landlord of which was the Orlando Symphony, uh, because the events venue held a Christmas drag show there. Um, and, you know, there's so much hypocrisy in the parents' rights movement. Uh, that it's really it's it's so disturbing. But um, I want to turn for a second to this issue of critical race theory, which you've also written about in your sure. Substack newsletter. DeSantis has a particular antipathy toward critical race theory, which he's banned in public education, even though it wasn't being taught. And you've you've written quite a bit about that. So tell us what you've learned about DeSantis's campaign against critical race theory, and also who's behind it. Well, you know, what's interesting is this is all billed as, you know, fighting against critical race theory. Um, as as you know, the critical race theory, is, it's something I actually, you know, was learned about when I was in law school. It's taught mostly in law school. Yeah, me too. generally taught in, in K through 12. Right, uh, me too. Education. So when you look at the text of this bill that was passed, it actually doesn't even mention critical race theory. But it does talk about uh, prohibiting any instruction or materials that could make someone feel guilty uh, about uh, their race. Uh, and, uh, you know, people have been applying that uh, both uh, to different kind of curricular initiatives. We just saw this play out with this AP uh, African-American studies course. Right. Now, let's DeSantis. specify that uh, DeSantis... Uh told the college board, which is responsible for marketing these AP courses, that Florida would not uh, authorize using their AP Black History course. And and he did that on the first day of Black History Month, too. And I know they time these announcements deliberately to spit in the face of their political opponents, because I remember DeSantis signed the transgender sports ban on the first day of Pride Month, too. Um, but... You know, let's talk about what happened with the AP Black History course. I suspect it's all about the money. I do. I think that's. I think that's right. I mean, the College Board, which runs these courses, is technically a nonprofit, but it's a huge, big money operation, a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, the the president makes over two point five million dollars, so they're really interested in keeping their revenues up. And what's important to know is that. As many of your listeners may know, a lot of colleges don't require the SAT anymore, which is another product of the college board. There's good reasons for that. It's not really that great a predictor of how well you'll do in college. And uh, there's all sorts of issues about, you know, gaming the system through special training. But anyway, they're more and more reliant on these AP courses to bring in their revenue. 
So when DeSantis makes that threat, he's speaking for himself. But there's also 17 other states uh, run, you know, mostly by Republican governors that have passed similar laws to the Stop Woke Act, banning critical race theory or actually what, what they're sort of conflating with critical race theory. And it's likely they would follow suit. So what that means is if DeSantis follows through, these other states might follow, and all of a sudden this new AP African American history course, which could be a new source of revenue for the college board, is all of a sudden much less profitable because it's not available in 18 or 20 states. So what happened is the college board revised their curriculum. They took out a lot of these very important black authors and figures who played prominent roles in the pilot version of the course. Those were removed, and they basically watered down the course and made it more acceptable to people like DeSantis. It's not as rich of a course. It doesn't really cover all the range of topics uh, in, in in a robust way like the original course did, but that's the reality now because it was really appeasing DeSantis and, and, and also, more importantly, all the other governors who are kind of following DeSantis's lead so that they will accept this course. Yeah, and so that they could continue to profit off AP courses, in particular this black history course, whereas they otherwise would have potentially lost money. Um, so I'm kind of convinced that it's really all about the money, as most everything in this Republican attack on public education is all about the money. Um, Yeah, I think it's about the money. And then I think, unfortunately, for the state of Florida, I don't think that there's really, you know, and I'm talking from from D.C., so people, you could dismiss this or or, or take it as, as you wish. But I don't think there's really a lot of indication that there's a huge groundswell of support in Florida to go into teachers' classrooms and micromanage their classroom libraries. I don't think that there was a groundswell, a huge organic movement Mm. of support. But what DeSantis is thinking about is how does he secure the 2024 Republican nomination? And this gives him status among that small number of base voters that that are going to be voting in Republican primaries in New Hampshire or in South Carolina or the other states that where he's going to need to win and defeat uh, former President Trump and maybe other competitors. And so it doesn't matter how unpopular it is in Florida. It doesn't matter what the consequences are for Florida schools and the, you know, really uh, the, the attack and the negative impact on Florida teachers because the real priority is how does he continue to raise his profile? among the Republican base. That's what I think is going on. I, I'm sure that that's, that's true, too, because even last night in Sarah Huckabee Sanders' rebuttal to the State of the Union by President Biden, she echoed the whole Stop Woke movement. And I thought that was kind of a, you know, not-so-subtle uh, attempt to basically credit Ron DeSantis with... Uh, you know, guiding the Republican, uh, the Republican agenda going forward toward 2024. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and, you know, just going back to what our, the topic we were talking about previously with that AP course, it was, it was Huckabee Sanders who very explicitly stated that she also had concerns about this AP African-American history course if changes weren't made. 
And so that added to the pressure on the college board to change this course to make sure it could also be available in Arkansas and, of course, all of the other states. So I think that people view this as a winning strategy, um, this sort of cultural war strategy. You see Trump doing it as well. He's trying to one-up, you know, DeSantis. You know, DeSantis is putting all sorts of restrictions and focusing on trans youth. Uh, you know, Trump is now saying, well, we shouldn't have any kind of trans-inclusive health care or anything else for all people, uh, you know, youth and adults. So it's just it's kind of a one-upsmanship of, again, trying to appeal to that that base voter. And everyone is is kind of hopping on board. Yeah. Do you think that there's going to be any value to the Trump uh, release yesterday, I think it was, of these photographs of Ron DeSantis when he was a teacher drinking beer in the company of underage high school students and being called a groomer by uh, by Trump? I, I, my personal opinion, I don't think it's going to do much. Um, I mean, I, I think it's smacks of desperation. Um, and But, you know, it's it's Trump, you know, in his own way trying to turn... Um, these tactics against DeSantis. Of course, it was DeSantis's uh, communications director who really wrote, you know, kind of uh, put on to the fore this idea that teachers were grooming students with books. Uh, that that was really, um, you know, the start of all of this with classroom libraries and, and books in schools. Uh, so now Trump is is trying to. Uh, turn that on to Sanders. I, I don't think you can trust uh, anything that Trump says. I don't have any reason to believe what Trump is saying is true, but I think it shows you the direction that things are going once you start just lobbying um, absurd accusations against people. Yeah, I just think it was a choice. I think it was a choice to focus on DeSantis's education agenda, though, because it's proving so powerful for DeSantis in his campaign toward the nomination uh, for the... Yeah, it's cutting cutting through, and I think and one of the things I try to do in my newsletter, because I, I think it's a real issue with the way in which a lot of the traditional establishment media deal with these issues is that people are focusing on the political tactics and say, oh, look how Ron DeSantis is raising his profile. Look at his polling numbers in the right. you know, against Trump. Look at this and that. But no one's actually focusing on the reality of what's happening. And in my view, we should be looking more specifically at the schools, at the teachers. You know, there are children involved. There are teachers involved who have devoted their lives to this. That should be the focus. Right. And I think often the focus is on the mechanics as if we're observers of a game when it actually, for many people, this is not a game. This is their whole life and it's being put at risk by these exploitative tactics. Yeah. Now we've only got uh, a few more minutes, but I, I'm, I'm wondering before we turn to, I have um, State Representative Anna Eskamani in a recorded interview from Monday. Um, she was present at the recent board meeting at New College of Florida. Um, and uh, before we turn to that, and I have to let you go, I'm wondering what you think of DeSantis's hostile takeover of Florida's small Honors College, New College of Florida, which is the most quirky, most progressive, and most diverse campus 
um, in the Florida State University system. And DeSantis has now taken over uh, the administration of the school to turn it into a right-wing Christian conservative factory modeled on Hillsdale College from, from Michigan. I wonder if you've been following that and what you think of it. Yeah, I have been, and I, I think it's really, you know, just an effort to to show his dominance over a group of people who signed up for the very uh, for the very opposite thing that he's trying to impose on them. They enrolled a new college or became a professor there because they were interested in a place that was very tolerant of a whole range of people and ideas and thoughts and, and a place to really explore. Uh, which is really what college is supposed to be about, and then turning it into this kind of very rigid ideological factory, you know, uh, and and populating the board with folks that are really behind all of this kind of culture war nonsense that that we've been we've been talking about. So I think it's really unfortunate. It's happening at New College, and then the other thing that I think people should just be aware of is that it's happening. At a, at all, a whole range of public colleges and universities in Florida, they're demanding that these colleges uh, search the emails, text messages, other communications from all the professors to, you know, it, it purportedly to get a handle on how much money they're spending on diversity. Right. But it's really an effort to intimidate people and to make sure that they don't feel free to speak their mind. And of course, he's uh, asked the legislature to make changes to uh, how tenure is uh, is handled in the state of Florida so that professors can be more easily removed from their posts, even if they have tenure, um, by making, you know, reviews, periodic reviews and, you know, reinstatements uh, to tenure. It's, and so, you know, people are chilled in their teaching and what they're saying about in their classes about any of these issues that seem adverse to his ideology. Um, and, and so uh, to be a, a teacher or a professor in Florida right now has got to be a really dangerous and frightening job. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think it's just important to remember that these are folks who have really devoted their lives uh, to to children, to young adults. Uh, they, they didn't do it for, for fame or, or wealth or, or power. They're really devoted to this. And it's unfortunate and, and really shameful that they are caught in right. the crossfire. Well, I know I have to let you go. Um, and I hope that you'll be back with us another time, sometime in the future. I want to thank my guest, Judd Legum, the founder and former editor-in-chief of Think Progress and currently uh, the founder and author of the subscription newsletter through Substack called Popular Information. Um, we really appreciate you being with us on WMNF in Tampa. Thank you, Judd. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, I'm going to bring in my interview with Ana Ascamani that I recorded on Monday, and uh, we'll listen to that. All right. In 1964, New College of Florida opened with inclusivity as part of its mission. It banned discrimination on the basis of race, creed, national origin, or cultural status. The board recently held their first official board meeting, and my guest, state representative, Democrat Anna Eskamani, was there. And she's with us today in an interview we pre-recorded on Monday, February 6th. So welcome, Anna. 
Tell us what Thank happened at so the new. For, Tell us Thank what. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you being with us, and you're you're doing a phone interview. You're not in the studio, so there's a little bit of a delay. But uh, tell us what happened at the new college board of trustees meeting, and what we can expect in the future. Well, within a span of just two to three weeks, and in a meeting that was only about six hours long, I, Governor DeSantis essentially committed a hostile takeover of New College. The only place to place the majority of far-right extremists as Board of Trustee members, but then terminating President Oker and replacing her with a former Republican uh, Speaker of the House and Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran, and then also putting to place a new general counsel of the Board of Trustees that is another former Republican president, this time Senate President Bill Galvano. So it really was a uh, not just a hostile takeover, but a, a conservative grift in the sense that so many friends of the governor got new high-paying jobs within a matter of a few hours. Off the taxpayer dime, right? Correct. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the other um, announcements that DeSantis made about the takeover of New College was um, he's seeking $15 million to hire all new faculty at New College. And, you know, so my question about that is, what about these tenured faculty that we have there? He's been attacking faculty tenure in principle, and now um, at New College, at least, it seems like he has the opportunity to make these kind of changes and fund uh, all new faculty. Is that right? I mean, not only is that correct, but let's let's be clear. Whatever happens at New College doesn't stay at New College. I mean... Governor DeSantis has been decimating K-12 public education and higher education for several years now. Despite the fact that in 2019, when he was asked about academic freedom in Florida colleges, he said we, we didn't have a problem with that. But, of course, what shifted is, is his bid to run for president. And so um, he is not only going after new college, he's trying to cancel not just diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, but also he wants to change curriculum of our schools. He wants to put into place his preference of courses as prerequisites for every student in our higher education institutions. And his, his goals of watering down tenure has nothing to do with the quality of education, everything to do with eliminating dissent. Because right now, the only professors who are brave enough to challenge DeSantis are those who have tenure because they have a sense of job security. And you get rid of that, you get rid of the dissent, and we're not going to be attractive to the best and brightest professors or students in the country so there's major economic losses and talent losses here as well. Now, hasn't he proposed some uh, reforms to the current tenure rules that would allow uh, the boards to review tenure on a short, you know, every five years or shorter than that, so that uh, people would essentially uh, the whole, the benefits of tenure would be lost essentially under this type of a reform. I mean, correct. He already weakened tenure last year by allowing the Board of Governors, which, again, is another political appointed body by the governor that pretty much does what the governor wants. They now have power over tenure. So this makes it even more extreme by allowing the Board of Trustees to basically terminate professors that they don't like. And so, yeah, I mean, we already know that there are professors who are looking actively to leave the state of Florida, and there are others who are applying for Florida jobs that are revoking their applications because they don't feel like this is a state where they can truly uh, not only achieve their own professional goals, let alone 
have the uh, academic freedom to express themselves and to do the research that they need to solve some of the world's most challenging problems. Now, how, it's really a ripple effect driven by the governor's own political ambitions and desire of censorship for those who oppose him. Yeah, in fact, he wants to ensure that the core courses at the Florida public universities and colleges are rooted in Western tradition. Um, and so not only is he seeking this $15 million to replace current faculty with his specially chosen faculty, but he wants to control the curriculum to ensure that um, Western tradition, which is basically white Christian tradition, is the dominant, um, you know, the dominant uh force in the curricula in the public universities and colleges in Florida. Uh, And uh, apparently the people that he's put on the board at New College obviously agree with that position. I've read that Rufo, for example, um, who he appointed, claims that diversity divides people and uh, it permits uh, people to be judged on the basis of their race. And so in addition to providing $15 million to hire all new uh, educators, he's also looking to eliminate all of the funding for diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that currently exist in Florida colleges. Is that part of what the current uh, special session will take up? Yes. I mean, the special session we're in right now is, is, is basically the governor cleaning up his past messes. So he's going after laws that he's broken and trying to change them so he doesn't break them anymore. (laughs) We saw that with his election police force where he has been arresting people who are returning citizens that voted and many of these cases are being tossed out so he's trying to change the law to better himself in that regard. And then especially with his trafficking of asylum seekers, he's been breaking the law. So again, he's rewriting the law to benefit himself. And, And so DeSantis doesn't actually care about rules, doesn't care about protocol or systems. He doesn't care about checks and balances. I mean, he is a, a, a fascist governor that has consolidated power under one branch and will continue to operate like that unless his own party challenges him. But unfortunately, the Republican Party has nothing but consent to his agenda, even when it means our state constitution is being broken. It's it's incredible that um, the the mass media that calls Viktor Orban, for example, in Hungary, who initiated similar types of reforms, they call him an authoritarian and a fascist. And yet uh, they call DeSantis uh, the leading contender for the Republican nomination uh, for president. Um, It's interesting uh, that if you look at it through the lens of what other countries are doing, there's very little distance between what DeSantis is doing in Florida and what what some of these um, fascists are doing elsewhere in the country. Um, Correct. It's it's really quite frightening, actually, and it – it does go beyond Florida, don't you think? I mean, we're sort of a um, a guinea pig for what we could expect from a DeSantis presidency. Absolutely. And the reality is that, you know, Governor DeSantis is competing with other Republican governors and presidential candidates for this race to the bottom. And so he's trying to out-Trump Trump. He's, of course, continuously battling with Abbott on who could be more conservative. You know, Governor Abbott in Texas has a border we don't have a border yet. Governor DeSantis pretends like we do have a, a border with Mexico. 
And so there is this constant effort to basically try to outflank the right, which at the end of the day, uh, that that that's your politics. But we're not we, we didn't ask to be part of that ride. And unfortunately, we are. You know, we we're we're not only experiencing uh, these types of dangerous policies, but real life issues like housing affordability, property insurance, auto insurance. The cost of living here in Florida is astronomical and inflation oftentimes worse, depending on where you are in the state. And, and these are the issues that we should be trying to solve. But unfortunately, you know, Governor DeSantis is, is more keen on uh, rallying his base and dividing us versus bringing us together to solve these problems. You know, um, we have other than you and uh, some of the um, minority Democratic state representatives, um, we haven't heard a lot of dissent over what's happening at New College. Um, it's a small place um, in, outside, in Sarasota, and um, we, ha- we have faculty who are chilled, I think, in their response uh, to what's happening at the school because of DeSantis's education reforms that put their jobs in peril. Um, we have heard from the university, uh, I'm sorry, from the faculty union president uh, for Florida, for the faculty union um, who has been protesting this? But what kind of what kind of dissent is out there, and what can people do uh, to uh, try to stop these kinds of um, initiatives by DeSantis? I mean, we have they, he has a supermajority in the legislature right now. He can basically do whatever he wants. Um, what can people do if they find his positions to be really abhorrent? Well, we need folks to make noise. I mean, first of all, administrators do need to step up. So many folks tried to play nice in the context of New College, and look what happened. It's just a reminder that you can't play nice with fascists. You have to be direct, and you have to lead with grit and grace to get to, to ensure that we're protecting our democracy for generations to come. And so I do encourage administrators and I encourage faculty to push administrators to be more committed to protecting academic freedom and the integrity of, of our higher ed institutions. Um, at the same time, you know, for any alumni out there or for parents out there or for folks who, who are currently enrolled in a Florida State College or University, your voice matters. And remember, these appointments to the Florida, uh, to the new college board trustees have to be approved by the Florida Senate, and they have not been officially approved at this time. So you can contact your state senators and tell them to not approve these new trustees at new college and also oppose any trustee that has a political motivation and ideologically driven uh, to be where they are today. It's so so much projection from the right because they say they're worried about indoctrination, yet they're preaching their ideology into our schools, which is indoctrination. And so it's, it's, we really need folks to, to speak up and share the word and, and to push your university presidents and college presidents alongside board of trustees locally to defend academic freedom. And that's just not happening yet, but I am seeing more and more students work together you know, across uh, the region. We hosted an organizing boot camp this past weekend at University of Central Florida. It had great turnout. We're going to host another one at FSU soon. So we're doing a weekend working with local student organizations uh, to help build the efficacy, to help folks understand how to get more involved. Um, and, and ways to have their voice be heard in the process of civic engagement and, of course, in elections, because you also need to vote 
at the end of the day, so much what we're dealing with is also due to the fact that Floridians just don't vote. Right. And that's not going to change unless we motivate people to understand their efficacy in civics. It's so important that folks understand that the answer to despair is action. So we need you to get involved, not to, not to step back. Yeah, because I'm seeing a lot of that. I mean, I talk to people about why they haven't voted, why they didn't vote in the midterms, for example, and their response is, you know, I'm tired of it. I vote. I voted in the past and nothing changed and things got worse and, you know, my vote doesn't matter. And I don't, uh, you know, I find it hard to respond to that, that type of, um, you know, lack of enthusiasm, that, you know, uh, despair. Yeah, we just have to keep helping folks understand that their voice does matter and, and it matters now more than ever. There are, like, at this point, no university or college is safe from the governor's agenda. And again, it's, it's so important that we also highlight the economic implications of this. You know, when you, when you, so many of our schools have emphasized diversity, equity, inclusion programs because it's what businesses are looking for. You know, we, we want to see more women in STEM. We want to see more diversity in the medical field. If we're going to combat health disparities along racial and, and economic lines, one of the ways to change that is by helping more people from those communities become doctors. So it's important to remember that these programs are, are, are really focused on community empowerment than anything else. And the efforts to make uh, DI initiatives like the Boogeyman are, are really just grounded in, you know, folks who are not comfortable with with uh, uh, diversity. And if you're uncomfortable with diversity, then you should take one of these classes to get comfortable. Uh, but again, so much of it is just projection, but it is dangerous because not only does it isolate, you know, students of different backgrounds, it further divides us, but it also has those economic implications that I discussed earlier. Diversity is a strength. It's not something to be afraid of. And what we're seeing at New College, what we're seeing in efforts by the governor is the complete opposite. And it's, and it's going to have dangerous, devastating long-term effects let alone the short-term consequences we're navigating right now. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, the the DeSantis Stop Woke initiatives, uh, the laws that were passed in the last session also applied to private businesses, to corporations, and there has been litigation surrounding that from companies who say, hey, uh, you know, we believe in the importance of diversity and inclusion in our businesses, and we do not want to abide by these stop woke rules, and the suggestion is that, you know, if we have to, then we're going to move out of state, Um now, that litigation um, was successful on the part of the plaintiffs who sued uh, to, to get an injunction to stop the enforcement of the stop woke laws against private businesses, but the state has appealed that. So we don't, we don't know where that's going to go at this point. But it does uh, support your point that businesses will, may just choose to go elsewhere. Yep, Absolutely. I mean, and in the day, it's also their First Amendment rights to operate how they wish to operate when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, or any training curriculum. I mean, if sexual harassment prevented training makes you uncomfortable, is that now banned as well? I mean, again, all of this is, is so problematic because it's tied to those First Amendment rights of, a, of an individual and of an employer. Right. But, but Governor doesn't op- Governor Sanders does not operate under the context of what's constitutional he operates under the context of what's, what's, what's in it for me, what will benefit my political agenda, what will silence dissent. And at the end of the day, we have to remember, too, that you know, the, the base of conservatism 
in this country is, is not only aging, but also outdated. And so what do you do if the shift in electorate is inevitable? You indoctrinate. You, you try to stop that evolution from happening. Uh, you disempower communities of color and try to maintain the status quo. So, so much of this bill is just tied to a, a, a long-term strategy by the right to try to stop what is an inevitable shift in the electorate from Generation Z onward. Right. So uh, one of the other uh, initiatives that he's pushing is this demand that that the schools report uh, their uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives in the in the schools, so that and the budgets associated with them, um, so that he can basically stop it. Um, but I think what's important is that you pointed out that these are really First Amendment freedom of speech and association issues here. What can we expect to come before the legislature um, in this special session and going forward on the issue of education? Um, are we going to see specific uh, laws being promoted by the Republican majority in the legislature? Well, again, the special session does not have any bill focused on education. It, 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 the only one that does intersect with, with higher ed is athletes. It's the name, image, and likeness bill. So the special session is not going to focus so much on uh, higher education. It is focused, as I mentioned earlier, on cleaning up some of the governor's past methods on issues that intersect with immigration, uh, the elections police force, Reedy Creek over in the Disney area, um, alongside also uh, providing additional support to those small businesses impacted by Hurricanes Ian and Nicole. But this week, you're also going to see Permalis Carey. You're going to see, uh, uh, you know, the, the governor and legislature wield administrative arms. And that's important to folks to remember is that what we're seeing today is not necessarily the legislature uh, leading the attack. It's also the executive office of the governor and it's different uh, departments like Department of Education. So many of these battles are being fought on on different, on different le- levels and layers, which is why keeping abreast of what's happening and finding ways to take action is so important. Well, I know that you have to get going. I know you have a lot of commitments today, and I'm so grateful for you giving us this time today uh, to be with us on WMNF's Midpoint. Um, thank you, Anna Ascomani, our state rep from the Orlando area, Democrat, uh, who's working very hard for us to keep these issues in the in the forefront of of the voting public. So, thank you, Anna. Thanks for being with us. That was State Representative Anna Ascomani, Democrat from Orlando, fighting for Florida public education in the state legislature. You know, public education is such a rich, ripe target for Republicans. There's so much money there for their grift. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about the recent legislative proposal to expand school vouchers to every kid in Florida without any income qualifications. That threatens to take away something like 30% of the budget for public education uh, K through 12 education and transfer it to charter schools where their friends are paid handsomely to manage an education that doesn't have to meet the same standards as public school and is completely unaccountable to anyone. Um, you know, this proposal would steal funding and resources from public education even more than has been uh, in the past. Um, I feel like people do have access to the information about what DeSantis is doing to public education in Florida, but they aren't alarmed enough about it. I mean, we're living through like 
I don't know, 1932, 1933 Germany, right here in mid-Florida, but parents are busy and the danger isn't getting through to them. I think they're just so happy that their kids are back in school after COVID and they aren't homeschooling anymore, that the rest is just noise. But we're going to keep following uh, what is happening in Florida Public Education on Midpoint, and I hope you'll continue to join us uh, for those discussions. I want to thank Judd Legum from the popular information newsletter on Substack for being with us today. I love the tagline on his newsletter, by the way, which is news for people who give a damn. That is certainly the listeners of WMNF and the listeners of Midpoint. So uh, again, thanks to Judd Legum. Um, if you joined us late in the show, please feel free to go back and listen on demand to any of our shows from the Midpoint archives at WMNF.org org slash midpoint or on the WMNF app or you can find our podcast at WMNF midpoint wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to thank our WMNF staff uh, today, Greg Bowers and Dwayne Terry who helped me record and, and edit my interview with Anna Escamani. Thanks to Barbara Fling uh, who's been sitting there uh, waiting for callers that didn't come today. And as always, thank you to the WMNF listeners for your interest and support of Midpoint. Our fundraising uh, drive will be coming up beginning on February 22nd. Uh, if you enjoy this show, please consider dropping a tip in the tip jar for us and direct your donation to MPW Midpoint Wednesday. Now, please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss. We are WMNF Tampa.